0: Parashat Masay is the end of uh, Sefer Bar. and the last chapter in the chapter divisions, which is, really is its own separate parasha, uh, is these 13 psukim that describe the aftermath of the Bnot Slavchad interaction. And it's a very understandable circumstance, except that when we look at the end of it, something odd occurs. So um, let's take a look at through these psukim. The background, of course, is that we know that B'not Chad have been given Yerusha. And B'not Tzavchad, if we're going to inherit land in, in the Menashe territory, the land that belonged, that was going to be going to Tzavchad, or Tzavchad's holding. All right, so what happens? All right, so the leaders of the Gilad family come. And so this is probably a good spot for us to look back and see that original interaction with the Benot Tzlovchad circumstance because I'm going to ask a couple questions that I want you to keep filed away as we read this. Question one is what is Benot motivation in coming forward? What is it they want? Now, before going further, what is it that we think? Because, by the way, Benot is a parasha that we read either last week or two weeks ago, um, depending on where we are. So, what is Benot Tzavchad's motivation in coming forward to Moshe? Inheritance. Inheritance. For what purpose?
1: Because they're orphans now.
0: Their their father is dead, and therefore, what are they concerned will happen?
1: That the uncles are not going to take care of them, or that they're going to lose their uh, piece of land when he gives it out, when it's given out in Israel.
0: Very good. And then, when they get married, what will happen? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. So let's let's take a look at it because it's not so simple. All right. Um, here is the story of Benozof Chad. I want to back it up to find the first mention of Benozof Chad which is just prior to their story, which is in the census. Now, the census has a couple of oddities that I want to look at. In the census, when introducing um, Shevet Menasheh, which, interestingly enough, is presented as Bnei Yosef is Menasheh, and then Ephraim is thrown in also, Benei Seif Mishpachadim and Asher Afraim, Benei and Asher Machir Mishpachad Machirim, Machir Gilad, Gilad Mishpachad Agiladi, and who are Benei Gilad. And it sounds like Manasseh's got one line, which is Machir. Machir has one line, which is Gilad, and Gilad is the one who has all of the families that make up Manasseh. Maybe. Elam Benei Gilad, and we got all of the names. And if you look at the end of Pasuk Lamed Bet, there's Chipher. Uztov Chad Ben Chipher, Lo Hayu Lo Banim Ki Im Banot. And by the way, this shows up every time that Tzavchad mentioned, or B'not Tzavchad's mentioned. It doesn't say, It always says, Right? we got to see why that phrasing is there. There's their names. Why do we need to know their names? Why are we concerned? So that's thrown into the census. Now, the simplest read of this is it's foreshadowing, because immediately after the census, we're going to hear about Chalukat Aretz, and Ben Otslavchad are going to come forward and say, "Oh yeah, I remember them from the census." Okay, could be, but there's some other oddities in the census that we'll see in a couple minutes that might put it into a different light. Now, let's look at the story itself. By the way, which is the same kind of lineup that we. So we saw, we'll see it. So this is a public approach, just like, what other public approaches do we have when people come to Moshe in front of everybody? Yeah, what? We have it also with certain rebellions. All right? And it's also, also going to happen uh, with B'nai Yosef at the end of Meaning, they're trying to make this a public stand. This isn't privately asking a Shiloh. It's a public stand. Okay, so father's dead. Or for some reason, they find it necessary to point out that, that Tzlovchad was not part of the people who died in the rebellion led by Korach, The Tanaviram, whatever, however we read that. As one or two rebellions, he wasn't part of that. Why do they have to mention that? So that's actually fairly straightforward. Because there's good reason to think that the people, and the Gemara says this, is that the people who participated in the the rebellions did not get a right to land. And so therefore, Tzavchad is not somebody who's deprived of land. He should have land. Right? And then it's a kibachet omate. And then there's all sorts of interesting midrashim on what that means. Simple shot and kibachet just means he died a regular guy. Everybody has his sins. We all die because of chet. The Gemara famously says that there are only four people in history who died without chet, right? Abi Davin and Binyamin, etc. But um, he died, in not part of that. Uvanim lo And he had no sons. Now, he's our father, so do the math. We are sisters, and we have no brothers.." Why, why do they
1: keep saying that? And by the way, again, whenever time Sofka is introduced, Lobanin lo." And why do they have to
0: say Why should his name be diminished just because he has no son? We want to have some of our own property. Now what's the simple read of this? Exactly what you said, Jason. They want inheritance, and what's their motivation for inheritance? They want to have Stofchad's name on land. They don't want Stofchad's name to disappear, and now there will be five little parcels of land that have the name Stofchad on the etc. Very nice. Problem is, it doesn't it doesn't actually work. We'll see why not. And what is Hashem's answer? They should get property. And they get that property that should have gone to their father. Very good. Now, we follow that up at the end of Bami Bar. This is where we started. We're at some later point, meaning this is not that same stand. And I'm not doing that based on Mukdam Mukhar torah the fact that Massey is after Pinchas. But simply, the read of this text makes it clear that Moshe has already issued the ruling that Benot Tzlovchad are going to get land. And now, as we get closer to that being a realization, maybe closer by a day or two, when we get closer to that realization, it seems that it's actually closer by a lot longer than that. Machar um, uh, Midian being in the middle, etc., that there is a problem that their tribesmen bring up. All right? And we already saw Pasuk Aleph and Pasuk Bet as the lead Now, Pasuk gimel. Here's our concern, Moshe. They're going to marry somebody among Bnei Yisrael. You got to remember, Bnei Yisrael are not the way we think of it, which is as one single nation. We're not in Chumash. On the other hand, we are not 12 totally separate and independent nations, autonomous nations, that have formed a, a, uh, a convenient alliance in order to go to war. We're something in the middle. We are 12 nations of one nation. Amim HaYikrao, right? Uh, uh, call, uh, how do you call it? Uh, in, 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 at the beginning of Vezot HaBarcha, there seems to be a mention of nations coming together um, that are, are what make up Am Yisrael. All right, we understand that. But we're certainly autonomous. We all are under one nomos, under, under the law of Hashem. And we have one Mishkan, and we have one leader that, we, that brought us out of Mitzray. We have we have a, a unity there. However, we are se- separate, separate, separate tribes, and that becomes the issue here. So Benot Khan will marry somebody from, you know, Chogla will marry somebody from Zulun and Milkal will marry somebody from Dan, right? And we Tirzah, certainly marry somebody from Yehuda. Okay? And then what's going to happen? Now what's going to happen? Their own section will now be removed from Menashe's territory, or Hefer's territory, if you want to get closer. So what's the problem? So Chogla marries somebody from Zvulun, and then Chogla and Zvulun have kids, and they have sons and daughters, and the sons inherit the territory. And what shevet do those sons belong to? Zvulun. So in the middle of Menashe territory, there's going to be something marked off. It says Zvulun. And then, oh, by the way, we, Shevet Menashe, are going to have diminished property as a result of it. When we go on the Chaltein Yigar And this is not just a temporary problem. That when Yovel comes, is one of the famous three ve'ims that's not, not Rashut. This will then become permanently enshrined as Zvulun territory, and it will eternally be removed from Menashe's boundaries. All right, that's our problem. Now, here you would expect, based on what's happened in Bamidbar with Pesach Sheini, with the Mikoshesh, with Benot Sof you would expect Moshe to turn around and say. Okay, Hashem, what's the answer to this problem? Instead, something curious happens. Right? Now, what does that mean, Alpi Hashem? Does that mean that Moshe stands there and Hashem is speaking to him and telling him what to do? Seems not. I can't Twitter it, but it seems not. Watch how it plays out. It says, and by the way, is exactly just just substitute the names in there and change it from masculine and feminine to masculine. And you get the same phrase. Cain, Mate, Yosef, Dovrim. They are speaking correctly, as we would say in yeshiva. They're saying good. Shaper Zeh Which zeh makes it sound like this is what was part of the original command but I didn't mention it yet. And you've got to wonder, well, why didn't you mention it when you told me the beginning of land? What was the rider on that gift? They can marry whoever they want. But they have to marry within the Shevet. Is that so awful? It's not like saying you got to marry a guy in on a Tevka. We're talking about tens of thousands of available men they can marry. Right, and now what's the, what's the purpose of that? We agree that, uh, that, that with you, uh, Hashem agrees with what you're claiming, or that was part of the original command, that the halal should not switch from one tribe to another. We want everyone to stay on their ancestral property. And therefore, what will happen? Chogla will marry somebody from Minasheh, anybody from Minasheh, big field. Tirtzah, etc., they'll all marry from Menasheh, and therefore their sons will be from Menasheh, and then this will be Menasheh territory. All right, and that will solve the problem. And then this expands out. It isn't just for Benot Tzlovchad. Any girl who inherits territory has to marry somebody from her own tribe. And parenthetically, the Gemara Darshan's Zeh as saying that this only applied in this generation and only during this period. And famously, at the end of Masakh of Tanit and also in and Babatra, it maintains this is one of the six proposals of what Tuba'av was about. What Tuba'av was, a couple of years after the conquest and division of the land, was when this prohibition was lifted and girls, even girls who inherited territory, could marry in any tribe. But what would happen to the territory? That becomes an interesting issue. But in the meantime, it stays with, she has to marry within the tribe. So everybody should inherit their own ancestral property. And you get the sense that this is a critical thing. That the Torah keeps repeating it. Now what happens, and this is where it gets problematic. Ka'ashen, that's why I made it big. Just what Hashem commanded Moshe, that's what Benot Slavchad did. Notice the, the order switches. Is this the order they got married in? Is this age order, wisdom order? We don't know.
1: But Who'd they marry? Who'd they marry? It doesn't say What does it say? It says Okay, so what's a dod? What does the word dode mean? It's not an uncle. It is. It is.
0: But it's not just an uncle. Right. Does your, Jason, does your mom have any brothers? No. Okay. Does your father have any sisters? Nope. Okay. So <laughs> good that's right. Dovey and Zevi, do you, do you guys, your mom has any brothers? Okay. That's not a dode. Does your father have any sisters? They're husbands. They're not your dode. Who's the only person who's a dode? your father's brother. right? Father's brother is a dode within the context of Parshat Pahar and expanding out and his role as a Goel. And it's definitely related to dode, The beloved one is the one who takes care of the family. So who did they marry? Bnei Dehan, which means they married other grandsons of Hefer. They married their first cousins. Okay, now This is where things get strange. What was their big concern back here at the beginning of the story when they approached Moshe?
1: They said, who's going to get the land? Our father's brothers. That's not fair. We should get the land. I said, you're right, you get the land.
0: And now what happens? They end up marrying those same men who they were concerned were going to get the land, they marry their sons. Which means what happens to the territory? The territory now goes exactly where they didn't want it to go.
1: What was accomplished then with the whole Benot legislation? Kind of strange. I'm going to add one
0: more piece to it that I keep alluding to, which is about the census. And then one more, two more oddities here, and then try to put it all together. You take a look at the census, and I, this isn't the whole census, census is very long, but there's a certain things I wanted to highlight, and I made them a little bit bigger. We hear about um, several anomalies in the census, meaning, unlike the census in Bamidbar, which is very straightforward, here in four cases, we hear something extra. One of the cases is Shem Batashir Sarah. Right? That's not that significant for us. The first one is Reuven, the second one is Yehuda, and the third one is Menashe. There's an expansion in their senses. Look at the expansion in Reuven. It's all about Datan and Aviram and how they died, and they were the earth swallowed them. Finished. But Uvnei Korach lo Interesting little addendum to that addendum. And then we go Shimon and God, and he said, and Zulun, and and, 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 sorry, Shimon and God, and then Yehuda. And how does Yehuda start? That's how it should start. Instead, who cares?
1: That's a long time ago. Why is it important for me to know that Aaron Onan uh, died? Insignificant. And then
0: in, when I get to Menasheh, I suddenly hear about uh, Benotzlav about Chad. Why are these three families singled out for expansion in the census? Everybody else says, these are the names of the families, this is how many people they are total. Move on. Why? So I show you another oddity that takes place. It takes place in Sefer Yoshua. Benotzlav Chad don't disappear after. Sefer Bar. They show up in Sefer Yoshua. Sefer Yoshua, as you know, is roughly divided into, we'll call it four sections. All right, there's the first, uh, we'll call it um, five Prakim, which is our sort of introduction, entering the land, etc. And then there's the Kibush. that starts with Kibush Yericho and goes from Perak Vav roughly to Perak Yudbet. Perak Yod Gimel through Perak Chaf is the division of the land. So Perak Yod Gimel is the division of the East Bank, and Perak Yudalat is a prep piece about Nachlat Yehuda, which is the biggest, which is Perak Tevav, which is huge and gives all the boundaries of Yehuda and all the towns in Yehuda. It's very big. Perak um, Tezayin is a very short piece about Ephraim. And Perak Yod Zayin, a bit bigger about Minashe, and then Perak Yodchet is sort of the. Introduction to the rest of the Shvatim and Nachlat bin Binyamin. A parak Yutet is detailed of Shimon and Yisachar and Zvulun and Asher and Naphtali and Dan and then Yoshua where Yoshua gets land. And a parak the shortest parak in Yoshua, Paradigm Sukim, is the command of the Aremi Klat, in which cities are set aside on the West Bank for Aremi a very detailed parak. Uh, which is the Arayah and who gave which tribes gave which cities to which families of the Herakbet to the end is the end of Sefer Yeshua, the the Brit and sending uh, the two the two and a half tribes home, and then the Brit, uh, and then the passing of Yeshua, etc. All right. In the passage about Shevet of Menasheh, we have the following: Lo Banim Banot. Nochamo, we have the same introduction. As if we didn't know, And again, the order is a little bit in a little bit uh switched. Who approaches the leaders? The girls do. And then it describes,
1: actually, the and they get territory. Who's coming forward to Yeshua and al Who should be coming forward? Their husbands. Their husbands should be going forward. Where
0: do you ever find, in Tanakh, where a married woman, except when playing a game, such as the Ishat Koit when she's married, um, and Abigail, who under obviously very bizarre circumstances, comes forward to the leadership alone. Or even at all. It's always a man. So what are coming forward for? Their husbands, who by the way are also, because they have a stake in it, it's their territory they want to get,
1: why aren't they coming forward?
0: So one last thing, and then we'll put it all together. There's a, a, a sugya in Yeshnochalim, the eighth parak of, uh, of Balbatra, which is all about Nachalot, um, has a whole sugya about P'anot Tzavchad, and about famously in the Mishnah says, P'anot Tzavchad nachalu Eshtoshah Chalakim, not Lut, Eshtoshah Chalakim, they got three different type, kind of vehicles or conduits for inheritance. All right, and in that sugiya we have the following agada. Tani Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov, Afiluk Tanasha b'hen lonisei chutam miarba'im shana. It says the youngest of them married at forty. Meaning it sounds like they got married, and the 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 youngest bride of them was forty, and the other ones were older. Okay, which is odd for a bunch of reasons, but like why why would he say that? And where's that coming from? Amy, how could that be? And watch the attack. The attack is not, um, you know, you should get married earlier. What? The attack is coming from a different direction. Interesting uh, reproductive math. That if a girl gets married before she's 20, she can have kids until she's 60. If she gets married at 20, she can have kids until she's 40. If she gets married at 40, I'm not going to even try to figure out what's behind that. But they're taking this as, as, uh, as physiological reality. But a girl can't start having kids, if she, meaning if she starts her
1: reproductive life at 40, it's not going to work. So why is this a challenge?
0: The fact is that they were righteous were girls, and because they were righteous, they had a miracle. Each of them had miracles happen to them, and the miracles were uh, like Yocheved giving birth according to the Midrash at 130. They gave birth at an advanced age, even though they, they got married late. Okay.
1: How does Rebbe and Yaakov know that they were so old? Where's that coming from? And why pin that on? And how does he know they had kids? Now, parenthetically, not long—I don't know how long ago—but sometime in the last fifty years, they
0: found some pottery in uh, in the in the area of Menasheh. Assuming it was Adam Zartal found it, that actually had the name Chogla on it, which seems to indicate that the Chogla family and maybe other of the families which kept the matriarchal names um, did
1: succeed in having progeny, etc. But how
0: does he know they have kids? So let's roll it back. Because, by the way, if they don't have kids, then it's not a question.
1: And if they get very young, it's not a question. So let's roll it back. What is it the notzatchah really wanted? What was their concern? They state their concern is, we don't want our father's
0: name to be erased. Okay, we've been together long enough that you know, how does a person maintain his name through, through history? Through what two vehicles in Tanakh? In Tanakh times,
1: what are the two vehicles for posterity? Land. Land and children.
0: And that's why Geula applies to both of them. You go back to the Dodd. What happens when a man dies? He was married and he dies without children. The brother has to step in to redeem his name. His name should not disappear. And what happens when a person is forced due to penury to sell his ancestral land? His daughter has to step in and redeem it. And remember, what was Boaz's big statement? I am buying the land and I am marrying Ruth, La Hakim, Shame, Hamate, Al Nahlato to keep the name of the dead man, Elimelech, alive on his property, through having kids with roots on that property. That's the whole thing combined. Okay. So Benot Stavchad come forward and say, we don't want our father's name to disappear. We all think that means we want there to be land that's called Stavchad's land. And therefore, if we had brothers, that would be fine. We don't have brothers. And if it goes to... Tzavchad's brother's sons, or Tzavchad's brothers, our father's brothers, then it won't be called his, it'll be called theirs. We want his name to be on land. What little JNF sign? Property of Tzavchad. Don't know anybody the community of wherever. We think that. But then we run into the big problem, which is, but since they're going to marry, and in the end, they marry with the Menasheh, and who do they choose to marry? They choose to marry
1: specifically those same people that they were trying to keep the land away from. They seem to have defeated themselves. So I'd like to suggest a different take. And it it takes for us to remove ourselves from the 21st century and go back to,
0: we'll call it the 12th or 13th century BCE. But you don't have to go back that far. Just go to the ancient world anytime, the classical world, even the medieval world. Why do people get married? People did get married because they went to camp together, they went to high school together,
1: they met in did Cuba. They didn't. They didn't. Why do did people get married? I mean, they get married to either to have kids or, and also security. I
0: mean, for them. Yeah, but why marry that girl? Well, that? the clans. The clans exactly. would it was all about clans. It was all about financial security, about tribal alliances, about military alliances, economic alliances, whatever. It was creating building alliances. What made a guy desirable such that a father of a girl would want him to take his daughter? Well, if he was wealthy, if he was important, if he could provide well, that's fine.
1: What would make a girl desirable? Some of the same, and that was enunciated by a huge dowry. Now,
0: these girls are orphans. Avina Meitbamidbar. They are
1: very clearly single when they approach Moshe Rabbeinu. That's without a doubt. And they have no one to speak for them. What is their real concern? Their concern isn't we're not going to get land. That,
0: and therefore, that our father's name will not be listed on a on a map of Israel.
1: What are we really concerned about? We're not going to be able to get married. Who's going to marry us? We're, we don't bring anything to the table. So, what does Hashem say? Cain benot dovrot. And what happens as a result? Benot get land. Now that they have land, or now that there's a promise of land, it's not marked off yet. That's going to happen
0: to Yeshua. Now that there's a promise of land, they're suddenly attractive marriage partners. Okay. And now what can happen for them? They can get married and have kids. And now what will not be erased?
1: Stofchad's name, because Stovchad will have grandchildren. That's what they're trying to preserve. Stofchad's progeny.
0: So now B'nai Yosef come along, and they're concerned about the land component. And Moshe says, you're right, that was part of the original command. Why did I not mention it then? For a very simple reason. Where were we when the original B'notz interaction happened? We were in our vote Moab, getting ready to go to war against Midian, and then getting ready to enter the land it was going to be a time of war, not a time for weddings. Right now, Brantz have a promise of land. We don't have to be concerned about who they're going to marry. We'll deal with that later, after we enter the land, after we fight. Then they'll marry. And they'll save, come ahead and they say, well, listen, Moshe, but well, we have to put some guarantees in place that we won't lose the land. He says, okay, you're right, that was part of the original command. Very good. So now what happens? is they enter the land and they fight, and who comes forward after all the fighting is done? And after the land has been divided, and we can identify not only where Menashe's territory is, but where the subset that belongs to Chayfer Grandpa Chefer.
1: You know where that is? Who comes forward? Still unmarried. After all these years, they come forward.
0: And Yoshua gives them the land. Now that they have real land, what happens? Their family members who have inherited right there marry them. In other words, Slavchad's nephews, who are in the same right and same district, marry them.
1: Makes a lot of sense. It's Dina the bar Maitre almost. The right of first refusal of the neighboring property. And now, before going
0: further, you can understand why in the census there was a singling out of Datan and Aviram, as opposed to Bnei Korach, Er Aaron Onan, and They were. What do the three have in common? These are families where sons were not there. And in some famous way, there's no sons. Either Er Aaron Onan died way, way back, Datan and Aviram died just now, but Korach are not dead. They're still around.
1: And Slavchad died without sons. It's all about progeny. And So what happens
0: is after the girls come forward and get their land, then they're married. That was when Yaakov comes along and says, okay, that means they were at least 40. Because how old were they when they approached Moshe? We have to assume they were at least uh, teenagers. They had to be able to speak you know, in front of Moshe. They weren't six years old. And then you have to add to that another few months till they cross and 14 more years of fighting and dividing the land. So by that time, they're getting close to 40. So he says, okay, the youngest one was 40 when they got married. They probably all got married at one time. How do I know they have kids? He says, we talk shit, I'll you. Their entire motivation was to keep their father's name alive and that indeed happened because they were able to have progeny. That's where this Midrash comes from. So we can't sign off yet because you're going to hit me over the head with pasuk Yadalaf here. And you should hit me over the head. Because I'm claiming that Benotz Khan at Moshe's funeral were all alone, not married. I'm claiming that when they crossed the Ardain, they crossed as five single girls. And they spent the whole time of the war and the division of the land still single and only afterwards got married. And yet, here in part in Sefer Bamidbar, at
1: the end of Sefer Bamidbar, the third to last Pasuk, it says they got married. But it shouldn't surprise us. We find
0: several other examples of this. Is something that Ramban talks about earlier in Bamidbar and Prashad Chukat, where there are events that the main Story of that event is in the Torah, but its conclusion is later on in history, and the Torah will tell that story. Let me show you two quick examples right here before we go.
1: One example is. Second, sorry. One example is right here,
0: in Sefer Shmot, in Peretid Zion of Sefer Shmot, which is the story of the man. All right. When did the man happen? Whole story of the man happened between Egypt and Sinai, right? Right. A month after leaving Egypt, we come to meet Sin, We're hungry, complain. The next morning, there's man Shabbat, all of that. Now, watch what happens at the very end of the story. Take some man and put it into a container. Right. So, good. Put together a little memorial, souvenir of the man. People should know. Very good. tells right. so, put it in front of Hashem. What does in front of Hashem mean? So, I don't know, you don't know, we don't know. We have no idea what that means. But we'll find out in a second. So just like Hashem told Moshe, what, what did Aaron do? He put it in front of the eidut. What's the Edut? eidut is the Aaron. That includes the Luchot Eidut Testimony to Mamad Sinai. By the way, this is still before we got to Ha'ar Sinai. Okay, so that's pretty easy. And the way to, to explain this passage, everybody takes a look at this says, Listen, Moshe Rabbeinu completed the Sefer Torah before he died. So he filled in the rest of the story. Because subsequent to having this peace of mind, which they got every day, so they didn't need to save one, said so that they put it together when there was an Aaron, and they put it in front of the Aaron. Very nice. This is the problem. shanah. All right, again, Moshe Rabbeinu can write that, no problem, because he's completing it at the end of arbaim shanah. When did they eat it? Until, until they came to the settled land. They ate it until they were on the edge of the kanaan. Which edge? So if you look at Yeshua, it means the inside edge, meaning they ate them on until they were already in Kanan. When was that written? It's a little problem. We have what may be a more uh, obvious example, more glaring example, if you will, uh, in Parshat Chukat. Here at the end, after, um, sorry, after Aaron dies, the first thing that happens famously is there's a war. All right. And B'nai Yisrael make a neder, naton temta mazebiadiv achram ti at arehem. If you let me win this war, I will make their cities cheram, meaning dedicated to God, who won't live in it, etc. like your echo becomes. So God listens, and they're able to beat them. Makom and what do they call the place And then we have
1: this curious passage in Sefer Shoftim, in Perak Aleph. not the tzfat we know, so it sounds like what's happened is the story that took place in Yeshua's time
0: gets written into the Torah. Now, does that mean Moshe's writing at B'nivuah? Or does that mean at a later time, as somebody showed him to suggest, Yeshua or somebody else is writing at B'nivuah and adding it into the Torah, like the Ipsukim, etc. I'm not going to be bothered by that. But when we look back at our source, we could easily say that when the Pasuk toward the Diana Bar says that Benot Sofhad married their cousins, that wasn't necessarily something that happened back then in Bamidbar. Matter of fact, it would make very little sense that it happened then, because then who approached Yoshua? It should have been their husbands. Marrying their cousins did not defeat their purpose, because their purpose was not to have independent land. Their purpose was to be able to get married and have kids. And to marry within the very close knit family was actually perfect for them. The land was the concern of, their, of the rest of the tribe, and that was solved with this legislation. It wasn't, needed because that
1: wasn't their concern. But the grant of the land happened in the Midbar. The actual
0: uh, occupation of that land happened in Yeshua's time, after which they got married. And we are able to bring this story to a successful conclusion. So hopefully this gives us a new, uh, a new sense of what, what happens here with B'not Tzavchad. And by the way, it's a really perfect kind of ending with Sefer Bar, which is
1: all about inclusion and all about the perpetuity of, the, of, the, uh, of, Kahal, of Kahal Yisrael.